I think the biggest thing, Draymond said it a little bit at halftime. We have to remember that even when we're playing well, we won three in a row. You know, teams still want to beat us and beat us bad. <laughs> they still have, you know, a lot of memories from the last five, six years. Steph Curry coming back. Well, they uh, did get beat uh, 117-91 against the uh, Lakers. Join us now. He's our NBA insider and expert. Follow him on Twitter at V-T-H-E-E Jamison. It's Jamison Welsh. How are you, Jamison? I'm doing well, fellas. Thanks for having me as always. Definitely appreciate it. Well, appreciate you coming on. We were talking uh, before you came on about the Clippers-Bucks yesterday. Clippers couldn't score down the stretch. Uh, watching these two teams, where are they right now? I thought that was a good matchup for national TV to kind of see some of the stars. Where do you put these two teams now in the whole spectrum of things? I mean, they're both contenders. You know, both teams are going to be in the mix when it comes down to it. They'll both be in the second round of the playoffs. Once you get to the second round, all bets are kind of off. It comes down to matchups, and whatever happens, happens. Well, I, I'm pretty sure we can all say that they'll both, both those teams will be in the second round of the playoffs. However, both of the teams have flaws. The Clippers have some major flaws that no one really talks about as much. Um, as good as Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are, neither guy is a guy that can create uh, consistently for others and also get into the painted area and make the defense converge consistently. Um, the, the Clippers are lacking a guy. That doesn't have to be a point guard. It can be anyone. They're lacking a, a guy that can make a play and get past his man and get to the painted area and make the defense account for him. They don't have that guy. Like, Patrick Beverly's more of a spot-up shooter kind of guy. Lou Williams is a guy that's an ISO guy, but he's not necessarily, at this stage of his career, a guy that's going to live in the paint. He's more of a guy that's going to get to a spot and shoot a jumper. So everything is a jump shot for them. They are a jump-shooting team. They don't get a lot of easy baskets. In the regular season, that's cool because most of the teams aren't that good. In the playoffs, that's when things get tricky because your first and second options are always harder in the playoffs and on the regular season and going forward, unless they make some roster adjustments, they're going to have the same difficulties that they had last year. Jameson, before I ask you the question I have about this game, did you see any of the Hornets and Kings game last night, especially the last four minutes of the game? Oh, oh it was amazing. It was, it was an okay. amazing game. Uh, it was a okay. high-scoring game, uh, a lot of big shots, a lot of big moments at the same time. Uh, that's a game that usually gets the coach fired. Uh, when you're up like eight hundred <laughs> minutes to go and you lose the regulation, those are games that normally, you know, the next morning or within the next week or so, you get fired. You can't lose that game at home. There's just no way you, you can lose that game. Uh, Buddy Hill missing a free throw at the end was kind of weird. At the same time, fouling a guy going for a layup didn't make any sense at all. If you foul a guy, he can't get the layup off. Like, that's the whole thing. Uh, but a lot of crucial errors from the Kings, uh, a lot of big shots, I should say, from the Hornets as well. I mean, P.J. Washington had a big three. Um, you know, Malik Monk at the end with the big and one layup. So there are some things that went the Hornets' way. But, man, the Kings, and that's again, that's the game where the head coach gets fired for. So, yeah, if you if, if for anybody who did not see what happened in this game, with a minute nine to go, the Kings were up 123-115, they had not only the ball, but LaMelo Ball had committed a flagrant foul. And here's what happened from that point. De'Aaron Fox misses two free throws. LaMelo then blocks Marvin Bagley. Terry Rozier hits a three. Take foul. Bagley misses two free throws. 
Barnes fouls Rogier on a three. He makes all of them. They get a basket from De'Aaron Fox. Then P.J. Washington, guy who played here in Vegas for a while, who went for 42 last night, hits a three. Buddy Heald makes one of two. Malik Monk gets an and one layup, and they lose 127 to 126 to the Kings. Ed, I told you earlier that there was a bad beat story in here for me. I had the Kings minus one. I was on the right side of this game for 59 minutes. 59 oh. minutes and yet that's, because it's the because it's the Kings I can't be all that shocked. That that's a worse beat than uh, Ben Simmons actually hitting a 3 to push it over. Dude, it was it, yeah, it was absolutely <laughs> brutal. Brutal. Oh, what a disaster. Uh okay, then let's stay with it. Um where are they? You know, when they hired Luke Walton, there were some issues there off the court. Uh, where are they with Luke Walton? What, what what do you think the feeling is about what Luke Walton has has been able to do there or not? Well, they brought Alvin Gentry on before this season. All right, Alvin Gentry is a head coach. Um, so when you hire a guy like that on a staff that has a coach like Luke Walton, it's like, hey, we're preparing to make Alvin a coach if things go south. And the way things have gone the last two weeks with the Kings, or the last two and a half weeks with the Kings. I believe they are. They've lost the last eight of their last nine games, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, they've had some injuries, but yeah, they're just not a good team. They're, they're not a good team. They don't have an identity as a team. That's always an issue. When you don't have an identity, you you know it's tough. That's for a younger team. Uh, you have a lot of interesting parts uh, like Fox, like Holly Burton. I still like Marvin Bagley. I think he can play. I just think that they don't have a position for him, and they have not developed him like they've needed to. Uh, but with that being said. It would not surprise me if we get back from an all-star break and Luke Walton no longer has a job there. It would not surprise so, me at all because they're, they're not good, and there's no way you can lose it. There's just no way. that What happened last night, that's usually the final straw for somebody like him. So you're not saying that – put it this way, Alvin Gentry takes over. Are you saying the roster's not good enough that he could make a substantial difference? Well, I'll put it this way. Um, the roster is what it is. I mean, it's not a – not a great roster, but there's some talent there. But you got to create an identity. Whether you want to play super fast and try to outscore everybody 130 to 128 every night, that's fine. But you got to have an identity. You got to work towards that. Um, but at the same time, they haven't been any better under Luke Walton. They were under Dave Yeager. Uh, they were under whomever else coached that team since George Carl. You know what I mean? There hasn't been any improvement. So you're bringing in Luke, and Luke doesn't really, you know, really doesn't add anything there. So. I'll be very curious to see what they do. Like, honestly, I'm very curious to see how this continues out. But they have a lot of young players, and they kind of need to make some decisions sooner than later because there's a lot going on uh, in the NBA when you talk about trades and agency and whatnot. So if there's guys you may want to go after, you need to make certain moves. And a part of that is the coach and what kind of style you want to play. So I'm very curious to see what they do with Luke. But last night was one of those games where, hey, don't be surprised if the coach gets moved sooner than later because that's just unacceptable. Yeah, I mean, that that was very difficult to watch, not just if you had money on the game for anybody who's a, a basketball fan. So let, let's let's take it down, uh, down the I-5 and talk about the Lakers here. And they come out last night, and they blow the Warriors off the floor. The, the Warriors couldn't hit a shot to, to save their lives last night. The Lakers had looked pretty rough offensively without Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder. And a lot of it looked to me, Jameson, like they just didn't have anyone putting them in the right places on offense because LeBron can't do 
everything we've seen him try and, and and he just can't so any reason at all for concern with the lakers or you think once they're healthy and, and everything's back in place that uh you know that this team will be fine yeah i mean here's the thing dennis Schroeder's a guy that can create off the balance he gets into the painted area he's really good at finishing out around the basket but he's also great at making plays for others so the guys like caruso and montrez harrell and kyle kuzma those guys benefit very well from Dennis Schroeder being on the court and playing the kind of game he plays. If you take away, if you take his production off the court, it makes all the role guys and jobs a lot more difficult. And that's what you saw in those games that he missed, is that a lot of those role guys, yeah, they, you know, Montrez had a couple of good games, but it was difficult. It wasn't as easy as it normally was with uh, Dennis there. So that's the thing you see with Dennis Schroeder. But also his defense, he is playing all league defense. And he may not make the first team, but he should definitely be on the second team. Uh, he's been that good defensively. Uh, he's always picking up 94 feet. He's always in passing lanes. He's always he defends without fouling, and that's always a huge thing. When you're able to defend very well without fouling, you're doing something right. But also, the Lakers' defense with him doing what he does is a whole lot better than it is without him and Anthony Davis. It wasn't just him and Anthony Davis being on offense. It was those are the two best defenders on the team. So when those two guys are out, you're going to see a, a drop in production overall. Uh, Luca took care of the Brooklyn's eight-game win streak. Porzingis is back, but uh, that was an impressive streak. Talk to me about what you saw from them in that eight-game string that maybe can really make them make a, pop, uh, a strong push at winning this thing. Did anything stand out, either defensively or otherwise, where you're like, boy, if they play like that, they're going to be in it to win it? Well, they got two guys that can take over a game at any time. You know, obviously, Kate, Katie's been out for a while, but they had two guys that can literally take over any game at any time offensively. Uh, so whenever you have that luxury, everything else kind of falls in place. Uh, but they've had some, it, they've had situations in defense that's been better, you know, but it's been better. And that's the thing that for me, I always look at is how you defend because you cannot win a championship in the NBA without defending. Like you just can't, you just cannot. It's gotten better, but Bruce Brown has been a guy for them. He's basically like their, Small ball, I guess, like center in a sense. Like he sets picks, he finishes at the rim. He's like six four, six five. So it's interesting to see what they've done with their lineups. But he's been very vital for them. He's been able to defend. He's been able to get a lot of easy baskets around the around the rim. So you know, their others have been very well. You know, Joe Harris has shot the ball well. Um, you know, DeAndre Jordan is a little up. He's up there in age, but he's been productive. So they're figuring it out now. Winning championships. They are going to have to get more rebounding because they get killed on the boards a lot. And defensively, they're still going to have to get a couple of guys that are in their prime to be able to defend. But when you got those three guys, man, you're always going to be in it because you can, there's so much you can do offensively. But defensively, I still want to see their identity. But, no, they were able to overwhelm teams. Uh, there was a couple of close games they won during that streak where they just simply had the best two scores on the court. And that was that. There was nothing you could do about it. When we talk about the West, I think we're just kind of starting to warm up to the Jazz, right? And to see that, no, this is legit uh, with the Utah Jazz. Like, they they are a deep team. They are shooting more threes this year. They've got superstar power on that squad. What do you think is the ceiling for the Utah Jazz this year? So, the, the thing with them is if they defend. Like, they defend at a high level as a team. Rudy Gobert is probably going to win Defensive Player of the Year. It's either going to be him or uh, Ben Simmons. Like, that's how it's going to be. But he's a very good defender, and as a team, they defend well. They're also shooting the ball very, very well for right now. What's going to 
going to happen when it is a situation in the playoffs where teams take away your first or second option and they're contesting those threes. A lot of Utah's games, similar to Denver, they get a lot of teams on the back end of a back-to-back or back end of a three-game and four nights or the last game of a road trip You know, with that altitude in Utah. They get a lot of advantages like that. But that being said, they've also been good on the road, and they've been good overall. But they get a lot of teams on the back end of a lot of weird scheduling trips. Um, but they've shot it well. I want to see if they continue shooting it this well. Because normally, we've seen this kind of before with Atlanta a few years back. Uh, you know, they're a much better team defensively than Atlanta was, and they're bigger. But we've kind of seen this before. we got to see it when it counts. Because a lot of guys are good in the regular season. But in the playoffs, when adjustments are being made on a game-to-game basis, that's when we're going to see if they're real or not. We won't see anything in the regular season because especially this regular season is what it is. But in the postseason, we're going to see um, how they react to adjustments and how they react to guys not necessarily getting the greatest of looks that they're getting now because a lot of their guys are getting good looks. Uh, you know, Clarkson's getting good looks. Neal's getting good looks. Bogdanovich is getting good looks. What's going to happen when those are contested? I want to, That's what I want to see. But they are a contender out west. They're one of those teams that should be in the mix. If they're in the conference finals. It would not surprise me at all. I want to ask you before we go this. Uh, interesting, you know, with the pandemic and, and salaries and what's going on with everyone. Were you surprised Oladipo turned down two years 45-2? They couldn't um, offer. That's the only max they could have offered him in Houston. Obviously, he's pursuing a longer-term deal, but it's two years at 45-2. So were you, were you, were you surprised at that or – you think he's just going to move no. on and try to get more? No, for several no. reasons. One, I don't think he wants to stay in Houston. Houston looks like a team about to rebuild. He's a veteran guy, so he probably wants to be in a better situation overall. Secondly, he can probably get that on the open market when things, you know, come out this offseason. So no need to, you know, kind of, you know, put yourself in a position where you don't want to be at and you're signing for money that you can get in six months as long as he's healthy. Uh, so he made the right decision. Plus, you don't – Everyone want to take a deal like that unless you absolutely have to because it's beyond him. It's the market. You don't want to take a below-market deal when guys like Gordon Hayward took a bigger deal in the offseason. Obviously, he's been worth it. But you won't want to mess with the market for other guys. So there's a lot of things going on in that. But, yeah, he wasn't signing that. And also, Houston's a team that's probably on the rebuilding side. He's our NBA expert. Listen to him. Follow him on Twitter at the T H E E Jamison. Jamison Welsh. Does, nobody does it better. Thanks for the few minutes, Jamison. We'll talk to you soon. Not a problem. Thanks for having me as always. Uh, he does a great job. The Jamison on Twitter. All right. When we come back, ah, Bischoff's not here. We didn't get a lot of F's in the grades. It's Candy's brief on deck. Back after this. Bischoff's briefs. We've been hacked. People's personal information, their, their credit cards, their, their passwords, they've all been compromised. Eh, nobody cares about that. It's not a big deal, guys. Candy briefs. It is a massive deal. How do you not understand this? Hundreds of corporations have been hacked in the last few years, and no one gave it. Candy briefs. Name one. Equifax. Name another. Target. Bischoff's briefs. Name another one. PlayStation. Name one more. Yahoo. Another. Marriott. One more. eBay, Uber, Anthem, Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Home Depot, Facebook. God damn it. Fine. We get it. UPS, Chase Bank.
All right, Ed. Oh man, I was muted again, Jared. I was muted. My bad. I brought. I, I had such a nice intro to Adam's breeze. I, I but I, I muted myself. This is what happens when I open coffee drinks and people on Twitter get mad at me. But I'm back. <laughs> you had such a nice <laughs> open to Candy's breeze. Yeah, like I, I set up Candy's breeze. So Adam's going to do a great job for us. And then I said, "There's. I can't hear anything." I said, "Oh wait, I'm muted again." Jesus. Oh, what a disaster. I thought maybe you would ask Doris Burke what she thought about this segment. All right. <laughs> exactly. Okay. All right. Okay. Now, what we do here in Candy's Briefs, if you're unfamiliar, is that we take a number and we try to see if this number from somewhere in sports is something that Ed can guess. And it's often uh, analytics heavy, but it's not uh, always analytics heavy. And today, I think we're going to steer a little bit back toward the mainstream. So your first number, Mr. Ed Graney, is 4,398. 4,398. Now, this number is a total that spans the years 2012 to 2019. Well, it can't be Dodgers wins, but it would be uh, close, I guess. Uh, Nice try. Um, Um, So it is from baseball. It is from baseball. Sorry, I'm on a a stretch here. Um, How many years does this stretch? Stretch is 2012 to 2019, it is about one specific person in Major League Baseball. Boy. It is about a person who shares, it is a person who shares the last name of someone who was a Dodgers hero who signed with the Red Sox in the offseason. Oh, God. Who was that player? Jock Peterson went to the Cubs. Um, and and the the much loved Kike Hernandez went to Kike Hernandez with the Red, the Red Sox. Sox. So we're talking okay, about so... someone named Hernandez. <laughs> Keith, <laughs> I, I'm Ke- I'm Keith Hernandez. Uh, no, so <laughs> who we're talking about here is Angel Hernandez. Oh, how come our buddy, our buddy, the umpire? How Four thousand three hundred ninety-eight. Is the number of incorrect ball strike calls that Angel Ooh. Hernandez has made from the years 2012 to 2019? Now, answer me there, this, though, in, in the briefs: is based on is it based on the computer and where the computer says it should have been a strike? Like I was going to ask you that before, and you're talking about this. What's the kind of what's the evidence used for the miss? I believe we're using pitch tracks data. Okay. Okay. So there have been only, let's make sure I get this count correct, there have been only seven umpires who have missed more calls during that time period. Want to guess who was the least accurate umpire in all of baseball? I think you're going to get this one. Harry Harry Wendelstadt's still around? On a (laughs) steel... Wow. Wow. (laughs) Harry Wendelstadt. Not even Hunter... Not even Hunter <laughs> Wendelstadt, his kid. <laughs> Harry Wendelstadt, you old man. I mean, is, okay. uh, is uh, Doug... D- d- what How about, the, the, other what about the cowboy? Doing? What about the cowboy? What about uh, Joe West? Uh, you Joey knew West. Joe West had to be the guy who had missed the most calls uh, in all of baseball. 4,903. How, How old's Joe West? So Joe West has been... And not Wendelstadt or Harvey, but... Yeah, West is, uh, West is up well, there, just, isn't he? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, Joe's going to retire to be on the traveling uh, tour of MAGA rallies based on the stuff he was talking about last year. So, you know, we can uh, we can let Joe go off and do what he wants to do outside of baseball. All right. Your next number is a much simpler number, but it also I'll give you a hint right from the top. 
comes from baseball. The number is 96. That number has to do with the National League West. It does not have to do with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, is there a time frame in it? It is 2021 is the time frame. In, oh, fact, it ha- oh. in fact, it hasn't happened yet. Total wins for the Padres. Pakota projection for San Diego Padres wins in 2021 is 96. For the oh, Dodgers, it's 103. Do you think that your favorite team in baseball, the San Diego Padres, is going to win 96 games this year? No. I think that there's a better chance the Dodgers win 103. So, oh, really? Okay. I'm not so, a, well, I'm not a believer in Paddock and these guys. I keep hearing about Paddock and all their pitching and everything. I know, I know what they did in the offseason, although last time I saw you, Darvish, he was giving up bombs to the cheating Astros. He couldn't get anyone out, so I'm not a big fan of that guy. But Paddock, I'll believe it when I see it. I've heard so much over the last few years about how good Chris Paddock is. We, we drill that guy every time. So I'm not as high on their pitching staff as everyone else is. So I'm going to say, uh, no, they will not get to 96. Okay. All right. All right. Now, now this call might be coming from inside the house, Ed, when I give you this number. So think, <laughs> think long and hard about this one, okay? okay. 42,497. 42,497. It, it, it is a lifetime achievement. Oh, it does what have sports? to do with it has have to do with Las Vegas sports. Forty two thousand four ninety seven. Now goodness. it it has a San Diego connection as well. Oh, it man. is about it is it has to do with something in the media in sports in Las Vegas. Positive Golden Knights tweets. I like it. You actually are not all that far from the right track on this thing, Jared. Do you want to take a guess at what it is? No, no, I don't. No. Okay. Because okay. If he was on the right track, then no, I, I'm not. Okay. How many tweets has Ed Graney sent in his life? Oh. 42,497. Wow. I, I just was starting to think about, like, for the amount of time that we probably spend crafting some of our takes that go onto social media, like, Ed, do you think you could come up with the amount of time in your life you have spent sending 42,497 tweets? Way too much. Way too much. I I wonder if um, – now, obviously, they include retweets. Yes, it does okay, include retweets. Okay, so I'd love to know the analytical breakdown uh, from Ken Palm or from the net ranking on how many are tweet quotes or retweets – Rather than just, well, this morning on the press box is about 40,000 of them when I uh, put out the uh, rundown every day. So that's that takes up 40,000 of them. But I'm going to guess if you broke it down, a lot of retweets and quote tweets. I don't know if I actually craft many tweets of my own um, in terms of trying to get opinions out because I kind of do that for the paper. I don't know if there's a breakdown, but I'm going to guess a high percentage would be retweets. I retweet a lot of stuff. Yeah, I'm thinking that that sounds to me to be the sort of cop-out of a man who does not <laughs> want to look in the mirror and no. say, I've sent 42,497 no. no. tweets into the Twitter no. sphere, right? Like, no. that sounds to me like you, sir, cannot face the Grim Reaper of time who is saying to yes. you, you're never no. getting any of that back. Yes. All that time that you sent spending yes. 42,497 right. tweets. I absolutely copped out on that. I apologize. Uh, and I don't even want to begin to think of how much time that is 
encompassed in my life uh, on Twitter. I need to look at that strongly. Well, there you go. It's a wonderful job by Adam Candy. He gives me numbers that I have no idea about, and I look the fool for doing so. When we come back, it's your Las Vegas Aviators president, Donnie Logan's on deck. And the stickman may hit if he make a miss of three times and out, but if four times the the, but the throw is bad, boom, then he may walk to a pillow. Or if he make a hit of ball and it go to the side of those paints, then it is some more, more hits and hits and hits. But if he hit a ball very far, then he may run on all the pillows around the pillows. And sometimes someone is stealing the pillows. Can't beat that for some uh, nice uh, baseball uh, expertise there on what the game means. <laughs> I've waited a long time to talk to this gentleman. He's your president of Las Vegas Aviators. Haven't talked to him in a while. It's Don Logan. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Eddie. How are you? Uh, uh, we're well. We're real. here with Adam Candy. And uh, excited for you. You know, um, the Knights have fans tonight. NASCAR is going to have fans on Sunday. And when the Aviators come back, correct me if I'm wrong, I think your first home stands April 15th. Right. It is your hope as well. Before we get to how many you think uh, can be there, take us through the last 10 to 12 months and how hard it's been. And that, that the ballpark had such an amazing opening, and then boom, it stops. H- how have you dealt with that? Well, it's obviously been tough. You know, and I, I, I think, like you said, we had the, the, probably the greatest opening season in the history of minor league baseball. Yeah. Uh, we had our four exhibition games last year in uh, – a year ago now, actually, it was the uh, end of February, first week in March, and then the world shut down. But, you know, I, I, that thing, it, it's just, it's way bigger than sports, and I think everybody kind of understood that, certainly for a while. And then as, you know, the, the NBA and the NHL went into their bubbles and finished their seasons, and then, you know, I really think football kind of got people back to thinking about sports again. But for us, it was you know, just do the right thing. Uh, our staff did a great job staying in touch with our all of our season ticket holders and sponsors and, you know, letting them know that we're still there and, you know, can't wait to get you back out. Uh, you know, I think that the, uh, keeping everybody on path just within our organization sometimes was tough because you couldn't be at the office. Uh, it, it did teach not only us, I think a lot of people, if not everybody, that working remotely isn't such a bad thing. You can certainly be effective, and it's probably going right. to change the way people do things going forward. Uh, you know, there's always, with such an evil, awful thing like COVID, there's going to be some good things come out of it, and I think more freedom for employees, uh, their productivity dictates, uh, you know, how hard they're putting the effort and how hard they're working. So that's there's there's been some good things, and we've really developed, I think, a real a plan and a, a you know a, a real hope that going into this season, understanding that 2020 is not going to be the same as 19 or 21 is not going to be the same as 19. It, things are different, and we've got to accept that. We got to be nimble. We've got to be ready to react, and and we will be. Don, for folks who are excited about hearing that there'll be some capacity in the ballpark this year, maybe take us through a little bit of how you'll determine, you know, how you're going to fill up the stadium. Well, if I could determine it, we'd fill it up, but it's not my my call. So, Adam, that, uh, I missed the bloomer on this one. The bloomer, he'd be in everybody's ear about how to, the right way to do this, but, uh, you you know, 
the percentages are random. I mean, I, I we talk all the time amongst our, you know, our baseball brethren around the country, and you know, you see what they they had at the Super Bowl, what they're doing in Texas. You know, it's a state by state thing, uh, and obviously, the, the politics have really gotten involved in it. Uh, I, you know, I haven't to, spoken to Governor Sisolak about it. I, I I've talked to Chris Powell a couple times. Uh, Talked to some folks at MGM relative to the Knights, and I know it's it's kind of in the hands here in Southern Nevada, the Southern Nevada Health District. And uh, you know, I, I think we've been, you know, just we as a community have kind of really been very cautious in the reopening in certain respects, and in other respects, we've been wide open, you know, pedal to the metal. And uh, you know, it, it's it's going to be something we're going to. Uh, make a, uh, a petition that, you know, we're going to send our plan here in a couple of weeks. One of the good things we have is we get to watch what happens at Speedway this weekend and what, you know, happens at T-Mobile tonight. Uh, you know, they've got the Knights have other games that I think that college sports, you know, uh, UNLV's got baseball and softball going there. Uh, they're going to have to get, I think, soccer too. What, what happens with the, the conference basketball tournaments? We've got a lot of other events in advance of our opening that hopefully gives some comfort to the decision makers about how many people we can get in there. But, you know, the more the merrier. COVID's not going away. You know, it's a virus. How we deal with it is is key. But, you know, if people aren't comfortable going out, whether it's to a, a baseball game or a restaurant or whatever, then, you know, they shouldn't go. But, we you know, we have to get things moving again. And we're going to do everything we can to make sure it's clean and safe. And, you know, we, we will be as accommodating as we always are. I, th- I think our, our staff and, you know, the whole organization does a great job of that. And we'll, we'll be even better now. Don Logan, president of your Las Vegas Aviators. I want to ask you this because I saw a couple of people, people quoted along with yourself in some stories. And I know, you're, you know, obviously your, your main uh, uh, thoughts have to be with the team in the ballpark. But this, this affected downtown Summerlin as well, and it affected businesses there because so many people would go there before your games, they'd go there after games. You have to feel good once you get back that that can help those people also in and around the ballpark. I would assume it makes everything better for everyone in terms of the experience. Oh, yeah. You know, it's uh, you, you can't, you know, I, I, people know me over there that I've never even met personally. You know, I've never shaken their hand or anything, and they come up and, They've been asking when's baseball back, when's baseball back. Uh, Frankie's Uptown Pub, That's our he's our main guy. You know, Frankie, uh, we went in there the other night after a meeting, and Frankie is, you know, he's been great to us, been a great supporter, and it's kind of become the place where a lot of fans go before and after the games, and it's become the place the players, he's adopted them. The players go in there after the game, and Frankie couldn't be more happy. Frankie and his wife are counting the days down until we get going again, and it's, that's the, you know, this whole, this affected everybody. And, uh, you know, the, the ballpark is a big part of downtown Summerlin's uh, effort to market. You know, the, it really the, the, it fits in the, the, the compatibility, City National being right there. You know, it's good to see, you know, you see these kids, these little, like, 80-pound kids trudging up the street, across the street over at City National, carrying an 80-pound bag of hockey gear over their shoulder. That's <laughs> happening again, so that's kind of cool. And, you know, it, it's coming back slowly. And uh, I know that not only downtown Summerlin, but the Red Rock Resort, too. You know, they, uh, our fans frequent that 
as do the people going to City National. So that that's coming back gradually, and you know it's important to get that back because it's not just about going to the games or uh, you know playing uh, adult league hockey. This is about supporting those businesses because people have spent tens of thousands, if not millions, of dollars to to create these. Uh, yeah, all the different amenities that exist around there, and you know, we were having our games and having things going on there was a big part of why they did it. Don, you have a perspective on Las Vegas sports and how it's evolved that few can uh, match up to, and I, I wanted to get your take on just essentially from the Golden Knights and until now, including the Raiders, including your new stadium, et cetera, what has it been to see such enormous change in the Las Vegas sports landscape that you've known for decades? Um, you know, Adam, I think the, it was, to me, it was inevitable. Uh, I always knew Vegas is different. Uh, you know, the, the, the metrics that everybody used for, that were used for years, uh, going back to when, MLB expanded into Phoenix and Tampa. You know, I was on the paid close attention to that because you know we wanted to uh, try and attract spring training here uh, when that happened. But our market is unique in that you know you've got 45 million visitors. You've got more hotel rooms than any city in the country, including New York. You've got uh, we've got the best dining. We've got the best shows. We've got the best shopping. So that the metric of you know what's the? It was the TV market, quite frankly. And I think we're, you know, I think we're 37th. We're not even, uh, it barely crept into the top 40. But it's a different market. I knew that once somebody figured that out, and I always said for years, the first in wins, and the Knights proved that. I mean, not only did they win in terms of the adoration and the support of the community, then they won on the ice. You know, go to the Stanley Cup Finals in your inaugural year, phenomenal beginning and uh you know that really kind of opened the floodgates and you know the raiders certainly uh, unfortunately for them didn't get to play any uh you know games at allegiant with fans so it'll be a new beginning this year for them and you know it's it's just uh it's good in, in most ways i think we're all a great sports town nobody wanted to talk about sports gambling you know, up until recently uh, finally, yeah, that's something that, that all those of us that yeah, I'm born and raised in the state, uh, you know, we have the best sports fans in America because everybody, not everybody, most people have a, a pretty intimate understanding of all the sports because they've been on them. I mean, you go to any of these uh, the sports books around town for the last 30 years. I mean, Saturday morning during football is crazy. Sunday morning during football is crazier. NCAA tournament, you know, it's sports matters in Las Vegas. And now having teams that we can call our own, I think it's great. I, I think that obviously the Knights have done a great job. I, I really think uh, I tip my cap to the Raiders. Um, Mark Bedane, well, led by Mark Davis, but Mark Bedane is fantastic. They've done a great job of reaching out into this community and, you know, embracing the community, which obviously in turn the community is going to embrace them. And, you know, the Raiders are going to be a great, great asset or now a great asset in the community. I wanted to ask you this uh, for your baseball fans out there who might not know or might be a little confused as terms of the new structure for minor leagues. How does that, if at all, affect the aviators in terms of rivalries or will things look the same for your fans? I think things will generally look the same, Ed. The, the, the thing that's going to be different is we're not going to be playing 
we went from a 16-team league to a 10-team league, and you know, you're not going to see the Iowa Cubs coming in here anytime soon, though we are talking about interleague play. You know, the Memphis Redbirds, the, the Cardinals affiliates, not going to be coming in. Nashville's not going to be coming in. Omaha's not going to be coming in. So it's changed those things a little bit. Uh, but I don't know that anybody's really going to notice, you know, the, the when the Sacramento River Cats show up, they're going to have their uh, maroon and black and gold unis on. And, you know, their giant affiliate, That's a, they'll still have, black shoes with orange stripes on them. That's the tip-off usually of what right. organization they're with. Still, that's still today. kind of cracks me up that nobody's figured that one out. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I don't think it's going to be much different. The, the, the thing that's going to be different, I think, on balance is the game. Our game is, you know, every time that there's a collective bargaining agreement uh, being negotiated, which is, you know, it expires after this season, there's always real, uh, I don't know, concern or trepidation that, oh boy, you know, because baseball started this back in the uh, in, in the 80s with, you know, the, 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 the player and well, player management dynamic is always something that can go either way. And, you know, you hope that nothing happens, but I don't see us, you know, this is kind of a, you know, we're affiliated with the A's. That didn't change. Uh, like I said, Sacramento's with the Giants. Reno's with the Diamondbacks. Albuquerque's the Rockies. Salt Lake's the Angels. It, it's it's a real similar setup. And, uh, you know, the, I think everybody's kind of got their eye on that CBA thing, but I don't see much being different about what's going on at, the, at any of our ballparks. Uh, finally, uh, tell the fans, I mean, I guess you're waiting, they're waiting, uh, just be patient in terms of this situation or how many are going to get in and how they go about it. Yeah, we, you know, we've got our protocol laid out. Uh, I, I, again, I've kind of, I've asked everybody on our staff to kind of wait and, and, you know, again, we've got the benefit of seeing how these other events work. Uh, right. you know, we're going to go, uh, a couple of guys are going, we're going to have somebody We're going to have people at every one of the events that's going on. Uh, luckily, we, we're season ticket holders for everything, so we we lucked out. We got nice tickets. We're going to go to this race uh, as Chris's guest, thankfully, and right. uh, see how that goes. Take a look at the conference tournaments. It's, the big thing is once I think once the the, the decision makers uh, in this case the health district sees that you know we're going to all of us are going to follow protocol. We're going to the masks are going to. People are going to have to hang with them, but masks are, a, it's a visible, it's a real tangible, uh, has a tangible effect on everybody. It says, look, they're paying attention. So you're going to have to wear a mask when you go to events for the foreseeable future, just the way it is. Uh, hand sanitizing stations everywhere in all of our venues, you're going to see that. We're going to have line monitors at the restrooms and at the concession stands. We're going to, you know, we're going to break up if a group of people get together too closely and start talking loud and, you know, or just talking, trying, you know, not even realizing that they're uh, not adhering to social distancing uh, recommendations. Well, our security and ushers are going to ask them to break that up, and everybody's going to do the same thing. We're going to, you know, we're going to overperform in this in that capacity. We have to, and it, because it's important for people to understand. We get it. We, we know this. It affects everybody differently. We talked last time, I think, about your wife. Your wife and my wife 
Uh, oh, yeah. they are, they're on a whole different planet when yeah. it comes to COVID protocols. But that's that's the way they feel about it, and there's nothing wrong with that. And that we understand that there's different ways of looking at this, but we're going to be as proactive as we can. And you know, the the whole goal obviously is to get as many people as we possibly can coming back out to the ballpark. And you know, everybody says, "Oh, you're you're you know you're worried about your business," and that's not really even it. It's uh, it's about getting back to normal, you know, and I feel like sports is one of the real normal things. I think that, you know, what uh, you saw what it did in the fall and have, you know, college football and the NFL, they had their speed bumps along the way, but it was, it was an almost normal fall. It got more normal when you saw people in the stands and you heard people, a lot of Vegas people traveling all over the country just to go to events because they couldn't go to them here. So we, we understand that, and we're going to take every precaution we can, and we're going to be as uh, thoughtful as we can, understanding that different pe- everybody looks at this a little bit differently. And, you know, we're going to trip up a few times along the way. I'm sure all of us will, but it's not for lack of trying. It's not for lack of uh, understanding how important it is to make people feel comfortable. I know him well enough to say this. There's no chance he's questioning the real boss at home. I'm with him there. It's Don Logan, president of your Las Vegas Aviators. Take a look, keep in track, and they'll let you know how you get back to that beautiful ballpark. Thanks, Don. We appreciate it. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Adam. Take it easy, fellas. Take care. Don Logan there for your Aviators. They'll be back, and they'll be getting fans, uh, Adam, and it'll be good for everyone there in downtown Summerlin. All right, when we come back, we'll close out on Monday. Let's end the show with something sweet. This is the Dessert Menu, brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union, prioritizing people over profit. The PGA likes red shirts. This has been the Dessert Menu, brought to you by Silver State Schools Credit Union. Become a member today at SilverStateCU.com. There is breaking news, but that was just off uh, yesterday. Goodbye, PGA players. They all wore their Sunday red in uh, honor of Tiger Woods. He tweeted out, it's hard to explain how touching it was when I saw the red on TV. So good job by his uh, contemporaries wearing the red shirts on Sunday. But Adam, huge news here out of the world of football. It appears J.J. Watt has a new home. And this, I think, is going to shock a lot of people. The Arizona Cardinals have reportedly landed him two years, $31 million deal that includes a $23 million guarantee uh, I didn't see them listed on any uh, of the lists of where he could go. So let me know what you think here. Is this just like, you know what? Whoever's giving me the most guaranteed, I'm headed your way. The guarantee was obviously huge for J.J. Watt based on what we're seeing here. And, of course, we don't know what other ones were. This has been just a fantastic morning to be on social media following the J.J. Watt saga, by the way, because only a couple of hours ago, someone posted what appeared to be a J.J. Watt Peloton bio in which it listed, I believe, Green Bay and Buffalo and Cleveland as like potential places he might go. Theoretically, his own thing. So now J.J. Watt posts about an hour ago and says, I don't even own a bike. Stop it. Right. (laughs) Then comes back an hour later with a picture of him lifting in an Arizona Cardinal shirt saying, source me. Like, this has been just a wonderful morning to be on Twitter, which is not something you get to say very often. No, and I assume, I mean, you know, like a lot of, uh, boy, talk about like the kids in high school with the hats and turning on one hat and putting on the other hat. I think that's crazy to begin with, but I, Schefter, uh, Rappaport, they're all tweeting this contract. He's got the shirt on. 
there's no chance this is wrong, right? I mean, th th this is done. If he's, I don't think J.J. Watt's a guy who's going to, an hour from now, maybe put on a Packers shirt and say, source me number two. No, I, he's not going to miss anybody like <laughs> that. Come on. I don't Come think on. he is either. I don't think he is no. either. It, is anyone just confused by this? I, I mean, guess not, not because, like Adam, Adam said, the guaranteed money. Maybe well, that's the other thing. Adam makes a good point. We don't know what the other offers were. Maybe in terms of guaranteed money, this was by far the most. I think people said, "Oh, he's getting seventeen, eighteen million. It's never about the. It's always about the guarantee." I mean, do you guys just think again? Like I'll say it again. He said, "Hey, I'm a late in my career. I'm thirty, whatever, broken down body. Who's going to give me and my wife the most?" I mean, I guess that's. That's I, I guess that's the concern. I just thought like it's late in my career. I thought he'd want to do the uh, the Chris Win? Long thing, where you're like, I'm just gonna keep joining Super Bowl teams as well, the third uh, down specialist. The Arizona Cardinals last year ranked by Pro Football Focus. Uh, it obviously was not the best defense in the league by far, but that pass rush dropped from seventh in 2019 to 21st in Ooh. 2020. So clearly a need that they identified. And, you know, guys, I think we look at this Arizona team, and I think because of some of the fluky things that happened in that division, that you look at it and say, well, you know, how close are they to winning? There was a point about, I think, about week 10 or 11 that the Cardinals were leading that division. So it's not impossible that if they improve the defense a little bit and Kyler Murray takes a step up, that this team could be, at the very least, be right in the wild card mix. I mean, they were in the wild card mix up until – you know, the Chicago Bears somehow backdoored him on the last day. Nice uh, quote here from our tweet here from our friend Miles Simmons. DeAndre Hopkins must be one hell of a recruiter. Uh, I didn't know he's that good a recruiter, but uh, they're reunited. Now th yeah, that's right. The story has uh, the story has moved officially. J.J. Watt oh. to the Cardinals, thirty-one million dollar deal, two years, twenty-three guaranteed. If the Cardinals Man. trade for Deshaun Watson, then I'll lose. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, uh, one of uh, our usual gambling sources, Sam Paniotovich, says Watt was as high in some places as 35 to 1 to sign with Arizona. Uh, oh. And John, John Murray over at the Westgate said, no, there will be no move on the Cardinals' futures based on the J.J. Watt. Nah. Did you have a ticket on that one? No, sir. No interest. No? J.J. Watt is an Arizona Cardinal. Talk to you tomorrow.